Indeed, tis true. The wonder-saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and three days later in his resurrection. What a glorious, glorious story. But it's more than just a story. It's history. It is fact. And it is in that that today we can have hope and meaning in life. In fact, it's an ideal song to lead us into the passage we've come to in 1 Peter. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we come to those famous verses which explain to us the cost of our redemption. The precious blood of Jesus. And what difference ought that to make in our lives? From a child, I learned verses 18 and 19, and it has been a wonderful joy these last few weeks in studying this chapter. To study these two verses I learned as a child within their context, they've become very special. And also, it's been fascinating to see why they were written. To be candid, I, I knew them, and I knew the significance of them, but I had not really taken the time to truly meditate and think upon the significance in my day-to-day -day life that these verses carry. Follow with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is a declaration of the incredible value and cost of our redemption. And we could conclude naturally that this is for our redemption, and our redemption is a glorious thing. But in context, the primary point is not about the time of our redemption or when we were redeemed. The primary point of presenting this fact is as believers to impact our lives right now in the present as we wait and look for the blessed hope and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at this verse in context. In fact, um, to give you a big picture of it, Verses 17 all the way down through verse 21 in the Greek is all one long sentence. From verse 17 all the way down through verse 21, it's all one sentence, one train of thought that's tied in together with the verses that precede it and is tied in together with the verses that follow it. But these verses is all one thought, and it's it can't be separated. Verses 18 and 19 are not standalone. They're tied in intimately with verses 17, 20, and 21. But in order for us to understand this context, let's read the whole chapter. Can we do that? So turn back with me to chapter 1, verse 1. 
as we read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy. For I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respects of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being born again, 
not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Great God, we give thanks to you today for your gospel. We give thanks this day for your word. Here, especially this letter that you inspired the Apostle Peter to write to us. Lord, it is as relevant to us today as it was to those beloved saints, those elect saints scattered throughout Asia Minor in the first century. So for us today, it is also real. Lord, as we look at this and see and observe the great cost and value of our redemption, Lord, I pray that it might make a difference in our lives. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you for your wonderful, glorious sacrifice. Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us, and not only to teach us, but to move in our hearts and in our minds. Correct us, reprove us, encourage us, as we may need in different situations. And Lord Jesus, we pray that as we look for your coming again, we might remember what you've done and indeed, it might make a difference in our lives. So now, Lord, be with me as I open your word, as I share, as I seek to explain. May you be glorified. In Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Verses 18 and 19 are actually two of my favorite verses. Somebody this week asked me what my favorite verses was, and it says, all depends on the context of the day. I have favorite verses in all different contexts. And these two verses are very special to me. But it's more than just these two verses, as I've meditated on them and studied them in the last few weeks. Do you see what the primary point of these verses are? What is the primary point of all this sentence, all the way from the beginning of verse 17, all the way down through verse 21? Let me read it. And you look. You look and follow as I read and see if you can find the main point of what these verses are all about. And if ye call on the Father, who without respects of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. There's a lot of truth in here. What's the primary application? Well, it's actually found at the beginning and at the end. Did you catch it? The primary point of this whole passage is summed up in the end of verse 17 
and begin at the end of verse 21. It is this. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear that your faith and hope might be in God. Do you see it? Those two phrases are the primary point of all of this. All the other detail here is not secondary. It's, it's all primary. It's all vitally important. But everything else gives the reason why you can and ought to pass the time of your sojourning here in fear and why you can and have put your faith and hope in God. Look at the first part of the sentence. Verse 17. It says this, And if ye call on the Father, the if there is a fascinating word. In the Greek, it's not just a, a question of a, or a clause of whether or not it is so. It is a declaration that if and knowing you will or do, this is the case. So it speaks of calling on the Father. This ties us, if we're looking here in our Bibles, back to verse 14. How are we described in verse 14? Do you see it there? As obedient children. So here we are, as obedient children, not fashioning ourselves according to the former lust in our ignorance, but rather, in all manner of conversation, being holy, as he is holy, because we are his obedient children. And as his obedient children who are living holy lives, we will naturally, if and knowing we will, is the idea of the if, ye call on the Father, begs this question. So if it is indeed if and knowing that you will, are we as his obedient children calling on him? It's presumed that we will. We will call on him because you know what? Living a holy life in all manner of conversation both what we say and what we do is going to cause us to need him, to call upon him, to be trusting in him, to recognize as we're tempted to do wrong that we have a loving heavenly father. But it's fascinating because as soon as it describes him here as the father upon whom we call, it goes on to describe him as a judge. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, if he's my father and I am his child, he's no longer my judge. Or is he? Yes, he is your father and you are his child, but he is still a righteous judge. And in fact, the point here is given that he is one who is impartial. He is one who does not respect persons because of whoever they are. It's fascinating the way that the Greeks described this respect of persons had to do with one's face. doesn't matter what skin color you are. doesn't matter what jewelry you have, what standing position you have, what rank you hold, how much wealth you have. Standing before God is the impartial judge and calling upon him. There's no favorites. Remember the context that this is written. The call is for these people to be holy. That is to live different. That is to live set apart from the ways of the world, from the former lusts of our passions, and to live different, to live holy 
Do you know what that sometimes results in? Mockery. Persecution. Oppression. That was very real in this day as Christianity throughout the entire Roman Empire has officially been declared illegal. And a mass persecution spreads throughout the entire Roman Empire, spreading to where these people are. And so the call here is, is recognizing this and recognizing this reality and problem. Peter is writing to these saints, these elect, and saying, call on your father, knowing he is the righteous judge. He is not a respecter of persons. Those who may be persecuting you, reviling you, speaking all manner of evil against you, they'll answer to the righteous judge, the one who is impartial. And so will you. So, therefore, as you call, or let's put it this way, if ye call, and knowing you will, call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, what does it say there? This is the key. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Remember back in verse 1? This is a letter written to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The original readers of this letter were believers, elect, who had been scattered. They were sojourning here, and this is the idea of one who is living in a place that is not a permanent residence. And whether we want to admit it or not, as we ourselves as Americans enjoy comfortable homes, we too need to look at ourselves as sojourners, as strangers. This world is not our destination. This world is a world we are sent into that we are passing through on our way to the glorious heavenly city where God dwells. And our perspective has to stay that way. And that's exactly what's going on here. The call to be holy, the call to be obedient children, recognizes that we will so much need to be calling on our Father knowing and recognizing here that he is not a respecter of persons, knowing that he's one who judges every man's work. He knows what's going on. And so thereby, we pass the time of our sojourning here. Look at these last two words. In fear. Now you may think, that's strange. We're calling on God, but yet we have fear. I wasn't here a few weeks back, and I so much appreciated when Brother Matt preached to you on the fear of God. You remember that sermon? As he went through and evaluated the life of Abraham and demonstrated that Abraham feared God as was manifested in his absolute confidence and faith in the character and promises of God. And it says that he feared God. All throughout the scriptures, we are admonished to fear God. That's what's being described here. 
There are many occasions, and these Christians in that day faced this much more, I'm afraid, than we do, the fear of man. But think about it. When we have the proper fear of God, knowing that he has spoken, knowing that he is an impartial judge, knowing that he is righteous in all his ways, knowing his promises and knowing his character that he will keep his promises. When we fear him properly and rightly, our fear of wicked men or of even unkind men becomes very small, doesn't it? The point here is not to live in fear of everything and everyone all around. The admonition here is to recognize who God is as your father and judge and to fear him. And when all the other fears crouch upon you, fear him. And those other fears will become much less. But it's still going to be hard. That's partly the point of passing the time of your sojourning here. It's hard. But you have these two promises. One is that as obedient children, he is your father. And two, he is not a respecter of persons and he will judge. In fact, as we continue down through this letter, we're going to find out. I mean, actually, just, just, to, just to jump real quick to chapter 3, verse 13, to make just one little illustration of this in context, of the broader context of the book. The, the question is asked, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Now, we ask that question, and we probably sit down and think through our list of people that don't like us, who said mean things to us, or maybe did something mean to us. Huh. We're talking, this was written to people who, who, who could say, I know some people. I know some people who killed my brother murdered my mother because she was a Christian. And imagine you're in that place. You're in that situation. And he asked this question almost rhetorically. And who is he that will harm you? All the fears you have. Who's going to harm you in all these fears? Well, if you continue down through, it acknowledges, it acknowledges suffering. And it acknowledges our need to be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within us. And it climaxes at the end of the chapter by turning the attention to Jesus Christ, who here is described as the one in verse 22 who is gone into heaven, is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Do you see that? That's why we can fear God. Fear God will result, in this case, in a strong confidence. Fearing God, in this case, this is interesting, will manifest within us a love for God, which in 1 John tells us, love, perfect love, casteth out all fear. Now, it doesn't cast out the fear of God, but it casts out all those fears that really don't mean anything anyway, but yet sure do feel like it. Pass your sojourning here. The instruction is given. 
in fear. And you might say, it's not worth it. Why would I do that? I don't want to live holy. I'm tired of being the obedient child. I'm tired of my sojourning. I just want to be home. Well, lest you run away too much with that question or those concerns, look at the for as much. I love that English word, for as much. Three words all clamped together. For as much. There's something really big that's going to be shared with you in all of this as an admonition of it. It says this, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers. Let's break this verse apart. Interestingly, if we take this verse by itself and do not consider the contexts around it, we could get the wrong idea as to what specifically it's referring to. So let's look at it closely. Let me ask this question. And you look in your Bibles and see if you can answer it from within the verse itself. From what are we redeemed? Do you see it? In verse 18. From what are we redeemed? Now, to be redeemed means that we belong to someone or something. We're a slave, but yet we are bought back. We are purchased. From what have we been purchased? Do you see it? It doesn't come right at the beginning. It, it talks about how we're not purchased before it tells us from what we are purchased. I'll, I'll be candid with you. For a long time as a child, and even in times recent, I looked at this and, and thought that the phrase, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, was speaking of the method of redemption. That's not the case. The vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers is from what we are redeemed. We are redeemed from that vain, empty, meaningless conversation, the way that we talk, the way that we act, the way that we think. We're redeemed from that worthless, vain, empty way of life, conversation. May I put it in another different phrase? We're redeemed from the vain culture, which is reinforced as it continues, received by tradition from your fathers. And it actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam sinned against God and thereby sin passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And throughout life, our lives, our, the lives throughout generations has been characterized 
by a conversation, not just of the mouth, but of the way of life, that is empty. And it just is passed down from generation to generation to generation. And really, the call here references back to the verses previous relating to, verse 15, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So it's reinforcing what's already been said. It's already been said, be holy in all manner of conversation. Oh, and by the way, you have been redeemed, bought out of that entire system. In fact, that system is a system of human trafficking. It's a system of slavery. It is a system where whosoever committeth sin, as Jesus said, is the servant of sin. And it is meaningless and empty in light of eternity and even really in this physical life. And Peter is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, that's what you're redeemed from. You're redeemed from this vain way of life, this vain conversation, and it may even be cultural. There's two lessons, I think, in that aspect of cultural. One is, consider today what you have received from your fathers. Have you received a vain way of life, a vain culture, a vain conversation from your fathers? Some of you have, and in a way, some of you haven't. Some of you have fathers who are holy, perhaps not consistently and perfectly. I shouldn't say perhaps. Definitely not perfect and consistently. Holy in all manner of conversation, but... Their motive and their desire is to. And where they're not, that's the vain conversation that you can be redeemed from. And then, at the same time, what, what is and who are you? You're the son of your father. But are you also the child of God? Have you become his? You may have a good upbringing or you may have a bad upbringing. And whatever is vain from that upbringing and whatever you've learned and how you yourself have developed your own little culture can be redeemed and, in fact, is redeemed. But it's not easy. It's, it's, it's not easy and it wasn't cheap. We, we think of the idea of redeeming things, and, and it's, it's no big deal. So often in our society, there's not a lot of things that we go redeem. You know, we redeem coupons, and we redeem, um, you know, little, we, we might go to a little, little carnival kind of an activity or something, and you get these little tokens that then you redeem for a, a, a ride or something. And so often when we use the word redeem nowadays, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's a little slip of paper. It's even, it's, it's like a coupon. It's like worthlessness that we're redeeming for something. And not so in this case. Our redemption here is described as not 
with corruptible things as silver and gold. This teaches us two things. The first thing is, is that we cannot buy our way out of sin and out of the judgment and penalty of sin. Silver and gold doesn't cut it. We can't give any alms. We can't give any any penance. There's nothing we can do or give to buy ourselves our our redemption. And no, nor can anyone else. It's it's not there. It's not possible. So what is it? The redemption is not with corruptible things, a silver and gold, but, verse 19, you all know this, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, to us, that may not carry a lot of significance, but, but let's start first with the blood of Christ. Notice it's the precious blood of Christ. As the children sang earlier, this was the reason why Jesus came, was to shed his blood to redeem us. It's precious. It's precious blood. But then the second aspect of this that's fascinating to me, that is not perhaps so clear to us in our modern world, is the reference of the lamb. When was the last time you had to sacrifice a lamb? You never have. And you don't have to, and you never will. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who is offered for sins once and for all. But put yourself back into the days of the children of Israel. Into the days when very likely people reading this letter in the very first church it arrived at in Asia Minor had in their very own lifetime gone to the temple in Jerusalem to offer a lamb. And it couldn't just be any lamb. It had to be a lamb without blemish and without spot. The significance of that in the Old Testament time was basically this idea. When you went to your flock or when you went to purchase a lamb to offer as a sacrifice, as a substitution for your own life. That's really what it was. You didn't just go and pick out the old dying sheep. You didn't just go pick out the one who had just been mauled by the wolf. You didn't pick out the one who has limped all its life on a broken leg or a torn ligament. No, no you, didn't, you didn't pick out the defect lamb that you could do without. You picked out the one that didn't have any blemishes or even spots. One that was perfect and ideal. And that was a representation in the Old Testament as a lesson teaching of the Lamb of God that would come who would morally be without blemish and without spot. Jesus Christ, he didn't deserve to die. He wasn't worthy of any death. But yet he gave himself as a sacrifice. Why? To redeem you. To redeem me from the empty way of life. From the vain conversation that we've received of our fathers. He he gave his life. He shed his blood for that. And he goes on in verse 20. 
This one, this Lamb of God who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. This whole plan of salvation of the Lamb of God coming and dying and shedding his precious blood to redeem us wasn't some kind of a last-minute emergency recovery plan. Even before God created man, before God created the foundations of the world, he knew he was going to create man in his own image. And he knew that man was going to rebel against him. And he knew that sin would curse this world and be passed from generation to generation. And he knew that in so many ways, life and the manner of life and the way of life and all conversation of life would be vain. And so even before any of it happened, he foreordained that the blood of his only begotten son, his unique son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be shed. And what's incredible about this in Peter is that he's describing it, that that was for many millenniums. And now we've come to this, and it's like it's been manifest to you in these last times. And so as you're struggling in being those obedient children, living holy lives, as you're suffering and as you're facing persecution and as you are passing the time of your sojourning here in fear, remember of how much value your redemption is and how much it cost and how long it's been planned and how much God cares for you in knowing that. And here, then in verse 21, after it speaks of this here, of Christ's shed blood, his precious blood being shed for us before the foundation of the world and now being manifested in these last times for you. It says here, speaking of Jesus, verse 21, who by him do believe in God. Now this is fascinating. Notice the do there. That's an important little word. Here it's telling you that Jesus has done all of this and who by him do believe. It doesn't say believe. It says do believe, meaning you already have believed and you are believing right now. Very similar to what's coming, being referred to back in the, and if ye call on the Father. The if isn't a conditional if, it's a because of if. If because. Here, you do believe in God. You are the one redeemed. And you rejoice in the fact that he is raised up from the dead. You have hope because he has glory. And this is all that your faith and hope might be in God. Do you see how the sentence began with calling upon your daddy, the judge of all the earth who does right, who's not a respecter of persons, knowing that you're the one who is passing the time of your sojourning here in fear, but it's not a fear that's a debilitating fear or dread. It's a fear that is described here as faith and hope in God. That's what real fear of God is, is trust, belief in God, and hope in him. And so what's being described here is, is that you've been called to holiness, and as you've been called to holiness, you are calling out to your father, recognizing him as judge. As you are passing through this life, 
And don't forget the cost, the value of your redemption, the precious blood of Christ, his resurrection, his glory is for you now, hope and faith in God. So today, as we look at this and consider all of this, how are you passing the time of your sojourning? Can you ask yourself that question? How are you passing the time of your sojourning? You passing it nonchalant? Just coasting through life? Or are you passing the time of your sojourning with a genuine fear of God? You think that would make a difference in how you live? This is a motivation to follow up on the passage before of be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Are you sojourning here in fear, in holiness, set apart to God? Is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ precious to you? Is it valuable to you? Have you considered the vain conversation from which you've been redeemed? Or do you still long to be in that vain conversation, that empty way of life? So often, especially in this easy society in which we live, and with all the freedoms that we have, and we celebrate those freedoms. This is a day that we give thanks for those who have died to preserve us, those freedoms. But have those freedoms lulled us to sleep? And do we need to heed as we look at this, the command in verse 13 of girding up the loins of our minds and being sober and hoping to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're passing this time as sojourners, but it doesn't mean that we're just nobodies or that we're just casual or lace off air. No, it's intentional. It's with purpose. It's with holiness that we consider day by day, not just when we have communion of what our redemption cost should cause us to have nothing to do with our former lusts or our former vain conversation. But instead, to live day by day with our faith and hope in God, sojourning in fear. Let's fear God. Let's keep his commandments. Let's walk day by day with him and in him. And you know it's going to make a whole huge difference as the passage continues on and gets really practical. And you know what it results in? This isn't just this idea of you retreating into a, into a safe, nice place. It results in an overflowing, unfeigned love. That's what the next verse goes on to talk about. Do we have it? I hope this morning that you take the time to think through your own mind and heart and be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Pass the time of your sojourning here 
in fear, knowing all the glorious things that have been done for you, that your faith and hope might be in God. Dear God, I pray this morning that as we have opened your word, that your spirit has moved among us. Lord Jesus, show us in what ways we live that are not pleasing to you. Show us what it truly means to be holy in all manner of conversation. Show us what it really means to have a fear of you and to know how much you love us. Oh God, may indeed our hope and faith be in you. Lord, we celebrate and rejoice in the freedoms that we have. But may these freedoms not lull us to sleep, but may we gird up the loins of our mind, prepare for action, prepare for thinking, and know you in our day-to-day -day lives. And live, live, not just knowing, but acting upon by your grace and by your strength. Thank you for the blessed hope that we have. We rejoice as we look to your coming. We give ourselves to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.